So turn with me back to John 18. John 18, we're in the final hours of Jesus' life before He faces the cross. We're going to be looking at verses 19 to 24, but I do want to back up just a little bit and pick up verse 12 to 14 to give us a little context. So Lord, as we open Your Word, would You, would you captivate our attention? We are so very distractible. We look around, our minds wonder. We didn't get enough sleep last night and we're droopy. And then there is the enemy who comes along like a bird to gobble up the seed that is cast upon the path. Prevent him, Lord. Cause the seed to bear fruit for our joy and for Your kingdom. In Christ we pray. Amen. John 18, verse 12. So the band of soldiers, you remember them, the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound Him. First they led Him to Annas, for He was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient for one man uh, should die for the people. And now skipping down to verse 19, we looked at Peter's denials last time. And then the high priest, and remember we're talking about Annas at this point, the former high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. And Jesus answered him, I've spoken openly to the world. I've always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together. I've said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. This is the word of the Lord. So John alone records this first trial of Jesus before Annas, though it's hardly right to even call it a trial. There's nothing official about these proceedings. They are, in fact, quite illegal according to Jewish law. The law required all legal proceedings to take place in the light of day, in the full view of the public But this happens in the middle of the night in a private residence, that of Annas, the former high priest. This man, you may remember from last time, had once been the high priest, but he was removed from office by the Romans. That never sat well with the Jewish people who continued to look to him as the real power behind the scenes. They even continued to call him high priest even as his sons, one in succession after the other, five of them served in his place. By the way, he saw to that. He made sure that happened. And now it's Caiaphas, his son-in-law, who officially holds the office. But never doubt, Anna still controls things from the shadows, imposing his will and that of his religious cronies. What is it they want? Well, at this point, Caiaphas just put it very plainly in verse 14. They want Jesus dead. 
And so they have him arrested, bound, hustled off to Annas' house in the middle of the night for questioning. And here we see that Christ's enemies claim they want to know what he has to say. You see that in verse 19. The high priest, again this is Annas, then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. They questioned Jesus. Now, that phrase could mean one of two things. It could mean that they honestly want to know what he's about. They've got questions and they they hope he's got some answers and, and so they've come to him for a bit of dialogue. Nicodemus, you remember, came to Jesus on that basis back in John 3. Or, this could mean that they've already got their minds made up about Jesus and they're just looking for a reason and a way to condemn Him. You know, to write Him off and be done with Him. And of course, we understand it's that second thing here. Uh, as early as John 8, we read that they would come to Him and they would ask Him questions to test Him that they might have some charge to use against Him. They question Jesus. How do you approach Jesus? It's okay to have questions. In fact, I hope you have lots of questions. Kids, young people, it is good to ask questions as you begin to work out your faith for yourself. There is that transition that takes place from from being a small child who believes these things because your parents and others believe them to owning that faith for yourself and coming to see it and understand it and working through the issues so that you yourself are truly following Christ. It's okay to have questions, but it matters very much how you ask those questions. Uh, Are you... Asking as one who is seeking the truth with a heart and mind that are open and willing to listen to what Jesus says? Or are you asking with a mind that is determined to justify your unbelief? You see, it matters very much. How you ask the question will determine to a large degree the kind of answer that you're going to get. And so those who ask, looking for a way to justify themselves and their unbelief, they'll ultimately get nothing from the Lord. It is only those who ask with an honest heart, seeking Him with humility and a willingness to be taught by Him, only they will receive the truth that He is so ready to give. And so they ask Him, but with prejudice, about two things. They ask about His disciples and they ask about His teaching. First of all, they ask about His disciples. Who are they? Where do they come from? How many of them are there? And what are they really up to? You see, there's suspicion here. In their eyes, this is a motley crew. they got fishermen and tax collectors and hill people from Galilee and even a terrorist in Simon the Zealot. So what's going on here? What kind of army are you trying to raise? They ask him about his disciples. But then second, they ask him about his teaching. What are you filling their heads with? What heresies are you spreading? Uh, That's already been their judgment about Him. Back in John 7, they said, He's leading the people astray. And again, they're not looking to hear what Jesus has to say in order to evaluate it and see if it's true. They're looking for evidence against Him. They're looking to prove that He is the false prophet they already assume Him to be. Why? 
Well, because they want to bring Deuteronomy 13.5 down on his head. That passage in the law says, The prophet, the dreamer of dreams, who is teaching false doctrine, shall be put to death. Because he has taught rebellion against the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of slavery to make you leave the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. You shall purge the evil from your midst. That's what they think they're up to. And eventually, this is all they're going to get. They're going to find a heretic because a heretic is the only option in their minds because that's the only thing they're looking for. How do we get Jesus? How do we, how do we prove what we already made up our minds we want to see? Listen, if you go to the Bible, if you look at the words of Jesus seeking reasons not to believe, that's all you'll find. A surprise, surprise, a heart that willingly shuts its eyes against the light will only see darkness. If you come to Jesus saying, I refuse to see... Don't be surprised when nothing is all you ever see. But if instead you will come to Jesus saying, Lord, help me see, His grace will give all the light you need. Back in John 7, Jesus said to a group very much like this one, John 7, 17, if anyone's will is to do God's will, he'll know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. And so I beg you this morning, all of you who hear, all who hear my voice, if you're struggling over this issue of whether or not to believe and follow Jesus, do this. Go to Him. Don't go to YouTube. Don't go to the Internet. You know, don't, don't find the, the, the latest book by the latest um, scoffer. Go to Him with an open heart that is willing to hear. You don't even have to take my word for it. Go to Him. Ask Him to give you a mind that is able to understand. They don't do that. And so we see the second thing here this morning. His opponents, in their determined unbelief, refuse to consider the evidence of His Word. They don't even hear it. Verse 20 and 21, Jesus answers. Uh, Jesus answered him, I've spoken openly to the world. I've always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together. I've said nothing in secret, so why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. Now, I love the way that Jesus does not back down here. They think He's the one on trial. Really, it's them. Uh, Dr. Edward Klink in his commentary points out how this is a major theme in this passage as Jesus flips the tables on His accusers. He accuses them. And so while they pretend to sit in judgment over Him, He exposes the judgment that is due to them for making mincemeat of God's law in these matters. So, So a couple things we need to see here. First, notice Jesus never actually answers their question about His disciples. He ignores it. And really, it's a snub. None of your business who these men are. It's not about them. It's about me. Stick to the subject. Remember, He's, he's been protecting His disciples all along here. He's, he's fulfilling the promise He made in the presence of the Father in John seventeen twelve when He says, While I was with them, I kept them in Your name which You've given Me. I've guarded them and not one of them has been lost 
except the one destined to that, Judas. And so when the soldiers came in the garden to arrest Jesus, He commanded those soldiers, you leave these men alone. You let them go. And they did. And now He is continuing to shield them. None of your business who they are. You deal with Me. And again, what do we see here? We see Jesus, the Good Shepherd, putting Himself between the wolves and His beloved flock. Oh, listen, believer. The safest place you will ever be is under the authority and protection of Jesus. Yeah, yeah, there will be times that He will send you out to face the enemy, but it will never be at random. It will never be on the enemy's terms. It will always be on His terms and you'll never be alone. You'll, you'll never face an enemy that He did not face first, one that He has already confounded and overcome for you. He is protecting them. And dear one, He is protecting you this morning in countless ways you don't even see as you're putting your trust in Him. Even if, like Peter, you failed Him again and again and fallen short of faithfulness, He, He will always be faithful. In fact, notice in verse 20 how Jesus fixes the attention of His enemies squarely on Himself instead of the disciples. Pay attention to the eyes in verse 20. Jesus answered, I, and there's a way to make this emphatic in the original that, 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 that we can't, bold underline would be the best thing we could do, I think. I, he says, have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Uh, I have spoken boldly before the world. I, I, I. Why? Because that's the one that they must deal with. Jesus, the great I Am, who's at a word put them on their backs, is the only one in this room that really matters. In fact, Jesus' words here are an echo of the words of Yahweh Himself in Isaiah 45. And when Jesus says, I have said nothing in secret, these men, who by the way were Bible scholars, should have remembered Isaiah 45 verse 19, where God says, I did not speak in secret in a land of darkness. I did not say to the offspring of Jacob, Seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. And now He is about to set them right. Which brings us to this next thing. He rebukes them here for failing to follow their own law in these proceedings. Let me just read it again. Verse 20, Jesus answered, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. You see, Jewish law was very clear. The way you must investigate a case like this is to call for the witnesses. That's one reason these kinds of inquiries had to take place in the full bright light of day so that the witnesses were available and could be found. In fact, the law forbade interrogating a witness in private like this. It was a legal protection from God's Word. A man could not be forced to incriminate himself. You didn't take him and grill him in a back room until he confessed. You brought witnesses to testify about what he had actually said or done. That's from Deuteronomy 15, I mean chapter 19, verse 15. 
A single witness, not even the man himself, a single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two or perhaps three witnesses shall a charge be established. But they haven't called for any witnesses at this point. Instead, they've got Jesus in a back room, as it were, with a light in His eyes, hoping to force or beat a confession out of Him. But Christ is having none of it. And now maybe we can understand the power of His words here. Uh, some interpreters read this and think Jesus is just you know, dragging His feet in the way He answers. No, there's something very specific here. Look at it. He says, I, and again it's that very emphatic, I, as opposed to you, have spoken openly to the world. I didn't hide in some background, some back room the way you're doing. Everything I've said, I've said openly in the synagogue and in the temple where our people gather. I haven't said a thing in secret that I didn't also say in public. So do your job. Priests, call for the witnesses like you're supposed to do. Get some people in here who heard what I said and let them testify. That's what they're supposed to do. So this is a rebuke. They are in violation of the very law they claim to uphold and He is calling them on it. He shines that bright light right back into their dark corner to expose their sins. And they don't like it. In fact, it infuriates them. As always happens when the light shines to expose the darkness we try to hide in. Do you remember John 3, 19 and 20 where we're told, speaking of the coming of Christ into the world, it says, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. Jesus is exposing their works. Jesus is exposing their darkness and they are not happy about it. Hey, are you willing to have your darkness exposed by the light of Christ's Word? Maybe why some of you don't read your Bible regularly. Maybe why you stay away from places where the Word is being proclaimed because you, you don't want that light to shine. Let the light shine. This is a question you need to face. Why don't I like the Word? Why do I stay away from it? Why am I afraid of it? Now, a couple things we need to see here as we think about this truth Christ is so openly proclaiming. First, notice He says, I have spoken openly. I have not spoken secretly. I don't have some hidden message out there that I'm trying to, trying to sneak through here. Now, that's very important to understand. The message of Christ, the gospel of our salvation is public knowledge. There is no secret mystical teaching of Jesus out there that, that somehow snuck under the radar of the New Testament that only a spiritual few have been able to get their hands on. That is an ancient heresy that just loves to pop up its head every once in a while. Uh, the Gnostics, for example, some of the original heretics made this claim. They, that they said that there are these secret teachings of Jesus out there that only the spiritual are truly able to understand. So, so come join us. Come into our little group. Listen to our anointed spiritual teachers and we'll give you the inside scoop. We'll reveal the mystical truths. And if you're paying attention, 
A new book pops out every couple of years saying exactly that that kind of thing, right? The secret teachings of Jesus. When you hear that rot, you need to recognize it for what it is, utter nonsense. You need to hear that and see that on the little ad and you need to say to yourself, well, that's a lie. Didn't Jesus Himself say, I have taught nothing in secret? No, there are no secret teachings of Jesus out there waiting to be unearthed by some kind of spiritual guru, by some authority somewhere, whether the secular version of a professor who unearths some half document and reinterprets it, or whether the the, the silly New Age nonsense. We have the words of Jesus preserved for us and publicly available for all who want to read them. Where? Where? on the pages of the New Testament. By the way, I highly recommend it to you. But some will say, what about those places where Jesus did teach His disciples privately? Uh, Places like Mark 4.34. He's been speaking in parables. The crowds aren't getting it. Uh, And He says, in fact, He did not speak to them without a parable. The crowds meaning. So privately, to His own disciples, He explained everything. And the Gnostics and other cultists will take that and they'll say, look, look, there were secret teachings. Here's the proof. That's what we've got. We got hold of it. Our teacher, has been, it's been revealed to him. You've got to read the Bible like this and you, and you kind of with one eye squinting uh, and, and a little bit of boo to throw in and, 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 and maybe some philosophy and, 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 and then you'll understand the truth like us. That's nothing new, by the way. A false gospel like the Gospel of Thomas written years later by Gnostic cult members uh, makes those kinds of claims. It'll say this is the secret teaching that, that everybody else didn't get, but we got it over here. And again, it's nonsense. They're lying. And one of the ways you know they're lying is they're contradicting what Jesus Himself said. I'm going to go with Jesus. Amen. No, Jesus was not giving secret teachings to His disciples in the corner that differed from what He was saying publicly. He was clarifying those teachings that the crowds didn't understand so that His disciples would understand them clearly and be able to teach them to others after His resurrection. And by the way, all those teachings that He gave His disciples, we have them available to us. Every single one of them we need. Right here. That's the point of the New Testament. The problem is not that there are secret teachings of Jesus out there that need to be found. The problem is most people simply refuse to hear the plain teaching of Jesus that exposes their sin and calls them to repentance. I had a guy one time give me a book of these supposed secret teachings using a certain method that would able to expose things nobody else had ever seen. And uh, I just said to him, you know what, I haven't even mastered the plain, clear teaching of Jesus in the New Testament yet. I'll leave that stuff for somebody else. Jesus says it's all there in the public record for anyone with ears to hear, to hear. Dear one, do you have ears to hear? And listen, Jesus never soft-pedaled the truth. He was always clear and upfront in what He had to say. He told the truth, no matter what it might cost Him. And He called people to repent and believe in that truth, to turn from their sin and through Him to be restored to God. And you and I, church, we must do the same. We must speak the truth in love, but we've got to be sure that the truth we are proclaiming is the clear, plain truth of Scripture and nothing else. Let's never get sidelined by some silly little thing over here. 
Paul says that so clearly in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 2. Paul says, But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. All those shenanigans. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's Word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. That must be our stand. We're back to Sola Scriptura here. Which brings us into this thing. So people then, people will reject Christ without ever even considering the actual truth of His claims. Verse 22 to 24. When Jesus had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? And Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, then bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? And Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the actual high priest. So one of the officers is standing there and he's a member of the temple guard. And he takes offense at what Jesus says. Maybe he was a part of the high priest's personal bodyguard, kind of like secret service. And, and, and he, he's offended by this. So he, he slaps Jesus in the face and says, How dare you speak to the high priest like that? A public slap like that is it was meant to humiliate Jesus. It was meant to put him in his place. It was meant to silence him. And Jesus' response? Oh, So much grace here. I hope you see the grace. Because I immediately wonder that this man's hand didn't wither off at the elbow. Right? I mean, people in the Old Testament died just for touching the ark. This man slaps the King of glory in the face. I wonder, does the sound of that slap still ring in this man's ears today as he awaits his final judgment? If he was never converted, I imagine it does. Another irony, he slaps Jesus on behalf of the high priest who isn't really even the high priest anymore. Little imagining that the one he slapped in the high priest's name is the eternal high priest promised by God. And yet in mercy beyond comprehension, Jesus receives that slap. Not just that one, but there's going to be a whole lot to follow. And He will receive them on behalf of those who deserve them. He didn't deserve them. The man who gave the slap deserved it. I deserve it. All who offend against the holy purity of God, and that's every sinner, deserve that. He alone in the universe didn't deserve it. And yet on our behalf, He receives it. And many, many more before that day is out. And beatings and nails and a crown of thorns for us. I wonder if Jesus was already praying in His mind, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. What mercy. And yet notice Jesus is not cowed either. He does not retreat. He does not back down. He does not apologize. In fact, He answers in a clear voice, straight to the point. If what I said is wrong, if what I said literally is evil... Bear witness, bring testimony about the evil. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? If what I said is wrong, prove it. Literally, he says, give testimony. We're back to testimony. He's still calling for them to produce witnesses. You, soldier, you be the witness then. 
You give the evidence against me. Show me my error. Engage my teaching. Let's talk about the truth. If not, then why did you strike me? Do you think that little slap in my face is going to cancel the truth that I've been speaking? But they're not looking for truth, are they? They're just looking for a way to shut him down. Listen. Listen. When the enemy finds that he cannot overcome God's truth with evidence and reason and truth, he'll use force and intimidation to try to silence the one who speaks that truth. We're seeing that all around us today, aren't we? But notice Jesus refuses to be silenced. Not where the truth is on the line, Jesus will not be silenced. Now, there are those, and this, believe it or not, there are those who criticize Jesus, imagine that, for not practicing what He preaches here. They say, why didn't He just turn the other cheek? Why did He rebuke this man? It's entirely the wrong question. First, Jesus does turn the other cheek. He could have obliterated this guy. Instead, He receives the blow and many others. But what He does not do and will never do is let the truth be shamed into silence. This action was completely illegal. Paul says that much in Acts 23 when he faces a very similar situation being slapped in the face at the command of the high priest. In Acts 23.3, Paul says, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. got to love Paul. Are you sitting there in judgment of me according to the law, yet contrary to that law you order me to be struck? <laughs> now Paul will go on to apologize because, well, he didn't realize that that actually was the high priest that he just called a whitewashed wall. <laughs> Jesus has no reason to apologize. He never does. He never will because He is the truth and He has spoken nothing but the truth. So they can question Him all they want. But they will find no error in Him, no sin, no stain, no shadow, no lie. As 1 John 3, 5 says, in Him there is no sin. He is the pure and holy one who, though slapped in the face by the filthy, lying hands of a sinner, holds firm to the truth. It's then that Annas realizes he's not going to get anywhere like this. And so he punts. I know they didn't have football yet, but he punts. He doesn't repent. He punts. He sends Jesus away. You know, once you've let go of the truth, truth simply will not matter to you anymore. All you care about is getting your way. That's the problem with our current culture of, of, of autonomous individualism. Truth doesn't matter. What I want matters. The truth is not the issue. It's my desires that matter. And so he packs Jesus off to Caiaphas, still bound with orders to see that he is condemned to die. And Caiaphas will keep Jesus in custody till daybreak when the whole Sanhedrin can be legally brought together for what's going to really be a sham trial. It's at this point, you may remember, John told us last week that Peter denies Christ for the third time. That's verse 25 to 27. As Jesus is being led away from Annas through the courtyard to the residence of Caiaphas, he will hear Peter say, I don't know the man. And somewhere across the courtyard a rooster crows. 
And Peter will turn and he'll see Jesus standing there looking at him and Peter will break and run weeping into the night as Luke tells us. And John wants you to see that. John wants you to pay attention to this. John wants you to understand that at this point Jesus stands alone. Rejected by His nation. Abandoned by His disciples. Denied by Peter. He must carry this weight alone. No one is there to help Him. No one could. You know, if He left even one tiny particle of the weight of this condemnation that He is about to bear, if He left even one small particle of that combination for you, it would crush your soul. Jesus alone must bear this load in our place. This is why He came. And so John says they lead Him away to face Caiaphas and the full Sanhedrin. The other Gospels will go into that. Over the next few hours, He will be beaten and blasphemed, spat upon and humiliated. All fulfilling Isaiah 53, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As one from whom men hide their face, He was despised and we esteemed Him not. When morning comes, they'll rush Him through a sham of a trial. Interestingly, I've already said this, John skips that second trial entirely. All he gives us is they took Him to Caiaphas. Remember, I've said many times to you, John, written last among the four Gospels, assumes you're familiar with the other Gospels, at least one of them, especially Mark. He tends to assume you know Mark. All three of those other Gospels, especially Mark and Matthew, will go into great detail of that second trial. Mark, for instance. Let me just read his account. We've got... I'm almost done. We've got time. Let's just read that account, though. Mark chapter 14, verse 55. Mark 14, 55. Picking up really where John left off, he says, Now the chief priests and the whole council... We're seeking testimony against Jesus to put Him to death. But they found none. They brought the witnesses now. Oh, great. Thank you, guys. For many bore false witness against Him, but their testimony didn't agree. You can't even get two of them. Some stood up and bore false witness against Him, saying, We heard Him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. So the high priest stood up, and this is Caiaphas at this point, the high priest stood up in the midst of them and asked Jesus, have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer, right? Because he's not going to justify their shenanigans. So again the high priest asked him, are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? Ah, that's a question that demands an answer. Because now it's a matter of truth. And Jesus said, I am. Oh, I won't go into that word, but you're already getting there, right? Ego, I me, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of the power, coming with the clouds of heaven to claim to deity. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witnesses do we need? We're not even going to bother about him anymore. You've heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving. Of death. 
And as John 1.11 will say, He came to His own and His own people did not receive Him. They reject Him. They reject Him. Okay, so why is John telling us all this? Why does it matter? Is it just a history lesson? John wants us to have our facts straight? No, no, no. It is so much more. It is history, but much more. Toward the very end of this Gospel, John will explain to us exactly why these things matter. So I'll close with this. Why don't you turn there with me? One, two pages over. John 20, verse 31. Here, John tells us why he's written this Gospel. Verse 30 says, many other things were done. I didn't have room to write them all down, but verse 31, these things are written. This gospel that I put in front of you is written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. Do you have ears to hear this morning? Do you have a heart that is open to listen to the words of Jesus, to evaluate His claim. Don't be dishonest and reject Him without giving an honest evaluation. Will you believe the promise He has given here? These things are written, John says, that you may believe that He is the Christ, the Son of God. And by believing, you may have life in His name. Lord Jesus, You gave Yourself. No one took Your life. You laid it down willingly that You might take it up again so that in Your dying and rising we might gain Your life eternal. And the cleansing of our sins as we've looked at this morning. And we might live forever to the praise of the glory of Your grace. Oh, God, open hearts this morning. Awaken the dead. Cause that doubting one to turn and see Jesus and believe and say, Lord, I trust You. I trust You alone. Save me. And oh, God, would You confirm the work of Your hand and save. Give the gift only You can give through Your Word of life. It is in Jesus we pray. Amen.